Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. The Premier League is back and it did not disappoint. An average of three goals a game across the weekend's opening fixtures and some absolute belters in there too. And it's not even over yet. There are two games tonight. Sheffield United take on Wolves in the Can They Do It Again This Season derby. You can have that Sky Sports if you're listening. And big spending Chelsea. They take on Graham Potter's Brighton and Hove Albion amongst some digs from Liverpool boss Jurgen Klopp about Chelsea's spending this season. We're going to be previewing those games shortly. Plus, there's a load more fuel on the Jadon Sancho-shaped fire as Manchester United step up their pursuit of the Dortmund forward. And there's loads more transfer gossip coming up too. And we're going to get the latest news from inside the Emirates Stadium with our new daily feature, Floodlight Focus. We're going to shine a light on a different Premier League club every day. Today it's Arsenal and John Walker from the Trampled Bet podcast sharing his knowledge and talking about his hopes for the season. All that is being done in the company of Niall McCorn. Hello, Niall. Hi, Jim. And Marley Anderson. Happy Monday, Marley. It is a happy Monday, isn't it, Jim? Are you happy this Monday? <laughs> it's the ray of sunshine that is Marley Anderson. <laughs> Making us all happy on the podcast. Uh, right, let's crack straight into tonight's games. Some cracking fixtures tonight. We've got Sheffield United versus Wolves. Let's do that one first because very much this is a game of can the teams match what they did last season. Both teams potentially outstripping what many expected from them but in terms of Sheffield United and Wolves Nile, who is in the best position to better what they did last term oh do you know what I mean the obvious answer would be Wolves I think just purely because if you look mm. at the players that they've signed in comparison to the players that Sheffield United have signed you'd suggest that Wolves are in a stronger position to kick on and increase their their league positioning but that said Sheffield United we said last year that they were going to finish in the bottom half of the table possibly even get relegated and look what they've gone and done and Chris Wilder's very shrewd with his signings and I think he's made a couple of decent signings as well um, in this summer transfer window players that he's picked up from the championship and as a rule of thumb the players that he has picked up for Sheffield United over the last couple of seasons have gone on to perform and I'm 
thinking from a biased point of view of their left wing back Ender Stevens, who was playing League Two football with my club Portsmouth only three seasons ago and now he's playing in the Premier League and he's already had a full season in the Premier League so I think it just goes to show that Chris Wilder does have an eye for a player so I think maybe looks can be deceiving in this one Um, I still think Wolves probably will just about be better off than they were last season or at least um, it finish in a similar position to what they did last season. But let's not forget, they have lost Matt Doherty, who's been really, really influential for them. I think he's been one of the most, um, I think he's been one of the most creative defensive players, actually, in the Premier League mm. over the last few seasons. He got seven goals or something last I th- season. I think he? only Trent Alexander-Arnold had more goal contributions. And by that, I mean goals and assists across the Premier League right. season than Matt Doherty. So he is actually one of the more attacking defensive players in the league. Of course, Wolves play this wing-back system. Um, but Sheffield United also play an intricate system coming out from the back with those you know almost infamous now overlapping center backs so I think it's a tough one to call if you look at the the players that Wolves have brought in they have brought in players from clubs like Porto um, and you'd argue if you look at the impact that someone like Bruno Fernandes has had coming in from the Portuguese league that that's probably a higher standard than the championship although I think that could be up for debate the Portuguese league um, has, has only got a handful of clubs where the championship is intensely competitive so we'll have to wait and see what happens I think like you say Jim it is quite an interesting clash um, but for Wolves I think that they've kind of got a few battle scars from the Europa League from last season where they started off the season having to qualify and their entire 2019-20 season took longer than a year their first game was a Europa League qualification game in July 2019 and here we are in September 2020 just starting the new Premier League season so certainly there is uh, plenty of battle scars plenty of experience there in that Wolves side just from this whole last season where they've played so many games Um, I think the question mark is as well uh, well the question mark was I should say um, over Nuno Espirito Santo lots of rumours over whether he might leave Wolverhampton Wanderers well he's actually signed a new three-year contract at Molyneux which is Mm. massive news for those Wolves fans and certainly any sort of jitters perhaps about um an unsteady ship or the boat being rocked by Nuno leaving can now be put to bed because he signed that new contract he's got his eye on some players that he's brought in and he's managed to secure their signature so I think things are looking exciting for Wolves and uh, I just genuinely genuinely think the Premier League this season there's 10 8 10 teams who you could probably say are all are all fighting for six spots mm. so it's going to be fascinating um my hunch would be Wolves, but I would not write off Sheffield United finishing higher than they did last season because the way they started was excellent. Um, and then they finished ninth in the end, I think it was. Uh, and who's to say they can't go one step further? Um, I, I just think Wolves for me, though. The challenge for Sheffield United, I guess, is integrating some of their new signings. We've mentioned how important Dean Henderson was for them last term on previous podcasts. They've now got Aaron Ramsdale, who without being disrespectful, is a downgrade on Dean Henderson, albeit he's a young and promising keeper. You've got Jaden Bogle, you've got Max Lowe, Ollie Burke, um, Ethan Ampadu. Ampadu, am I saying that right? Yes. Ampadu. That's correct, wow, yeah. first time ever. Uh, so you've got, you've got a load of new signings there that are likely to get into the first 11 quite quickly, Marley, which is always a challenge for a manager to bring in a whole new host of new players and make them gel in the same way that Sheffield United did last season? Uh, yeah, but I think the the people they've signed won't have much of an issue. Like They've been around the English game uh, a, a while. Ampadu's played a lot of games you know, at a lower level and, um, and for Chelsea sort of at under-23s and what have you. Um, as well as his time, I think it was Exeter he was at, was that, is that right? Um, 
and the the you know Bogle and Lowe have both been at Derby, so I don't expect them to to struggle to settle in. I just worry, like, are they good enough to to take Sheffield United on to the next level? Like, they're good players, but you don't expect them to be first team players because Baldock had a great season last season. So you may be looking at him ahead of Bogle. Yeah, but I don't. I, I'm not sure if they're, they're going to come straight into the first team, so I don't really know if you've got to worry about them settling. But when you think of why people sometimes don't settle, you would you would more say that it's it's foreign players coming from different leagues and um, getting used to a different style of football. Whereas I think like the vast vast majority of Sheffield United squad is is British and Irish, so um, they haven't got many foreigners in there. I think Sander Berger is one of the only few. That they've that they've uh, that gets regular game time at Sheffield United, so it's a bit of a um, a strange situation because you don't see that in you don't see that in too many Premier League sides. But it <coughs> excuse me, it must be good for for settling in because everyone's everyone's on the same page, everyone speaks the same language, which is an an, an underrated part of football for me. I think a lot of people forget that there's so many languages going on on the pitch at any one time that it's kind of you almost forget that players are from like seven or eight different countries in a normal in a normal team, but Sheffield United don't have that problem, so I think that uh, they'll settle quickly. I just don't know whether they're good enough to to sort of take Sheffield United higher and make them a a top half Premier League side. So um, as good as the signings are, they're not strikers, and I think they need more goals to uh, to push on and and nail themselves in the top half like they did uh, last season. Niall mentioned the absence of Doherty, who's obviously left to go to Spurs. The suggestion is that Adama Traore could start in that wing-back position following his sale. That feels to me like a little bit of a waste of his talents. He was one of the most exciting forward-thinking players in the Premier League last season. I can't see him having quite the same impact if he's playing at wing-back. Yeah, Yeah, sort of. I mean... I think what looking at what they've done in the market, I think Wolves. Uh, I think they'll set up with a slightly different shape this season. Um, if you look at last season, they played mostly three-four-three three with Adama as part of the front three and and Doherty as that like wing-back type uh, role in the in the sort of either the the back five or the back three, depending on whether they got the ball or not. Um, but Traore used to used to play there with him um, about a season, season and a half ago. He used to uh, share the minutes with with Doherty. So he's, it's not like he's never played there before. And if you, I suppose, if you play him deeper, you get him on the ball a bit, a little bit more, and he can use his pace a little bit more and get you up the pitch rather than provide the finishing touch. Um, a little bit like a little different dynamic to, to Wolves uh, and then they've always got the option of playing him as part of a front three anyway so maybe it brings them a bit a bit more versatility maybe um, if you look at this the, you know Fabio Silva coming in for 40 million you've got to say he's going to get a lot of games so if you're looking at him being a, a striker if you're playing if you got three up front like last season maybe they're going to go with two up front and uh, an attacking midfielder in behind them or something like that and change the, the shape of the midfield slightly because I think that Vitinha, uh, Vito Ferreira fellow that's came in, he's an attacking midfielder. So if you're looking at getting all your new signings into the team, maybe you're looking at a change in, in shape for uh, for Wolves and maybe that's uh, something that Nuno's looking at. Um, but we'll see when the season kicks off, I suppose, and you've played 10 games, you'll you'll see the sort of 
the shape they're starting to look at. But maybe it's something that just to add another string to the bow that they can play uh, Adama a bit deeper and see how he does at sort of progressing the ball off the pitch a little bit more. I thought when they signed Fabio Silva, it was... It's a difficult one because he feels very much like a player for the future, another tick in the box for the Wolves scouts going out to Portugal and uncovering a diamond. But at the same time, you're right, Marley. When you come with a I think, £35, £36 million pound price tag or whatever it was, there's an expectation on you to hit the ground running and to have an impact straight away. Do you think he's going to feature tonight, Niall? I'm not sure. I think it's a tough one. And I think you're right about Wolves looking for wing-backs slash full-backs across Europe and the UK because let's not forget they recently signed Luke Matheson from Rochdale who's the young sort of 18-year-old, 17-year-old full-back who scored a goal against Man United in the Carabao Cup last season whilst playing for Rochdale. So certainly they do have their eye on that position and I think that's the way they like to play. You know, it's, it's a big part of their game getting down the down the wings and putting balls in and, you know, giving something as well for, for Jimenez and Pedro Neto to feed off. So Certainly, I don't think that's a new thing that Wolves have been doing, scouting wide players and wing backs. So, I mean, we could see even a few more um, come into the side and probably link up with the development squad. I certainly think Matheson will probably link up with the development squad, if not get a few games in the cup competitions this season, or at least be in the squad. So I'm not sure whether we'll see him him feature as such, but I do think when you're looking at players... Um, you do have to have a, a discernible style of play for those players to fit into. And I think now a £35 million signing isn't quite the same as what it was maybe five, six years ago. Now that the way the transfer market's exploded, I think £35 million is just, a, oh, well, that was a bit of a waste. Uh, um, it's still a ridiculous amount of money. And I think a lot of us who have been you know, following the game and the Premier League for a number of years now still can't quite wrap our heads around that £35 million is probably just run of the mill for an overseas player who's young with a, with a bit of potential. Um, which is it's quite staggering still to think of it, but I think that is the new norm. Um, we've heard the new normal bandied around a few mm. times as a term in recent times, and I think that is the case in terms of the Premier League transfer market, that £35 million for a young, promising player from uh, a club overseas who probably aren't too um, afraid to let him go and, and join a bigger club. I think that is that is the going rate nowadays. So, I mean, even though it will be a bit of a waste if he, if he doesn't perform to the levels that Wolves fans are expecting, certainly I do think it probably isn't as severe as it would have been once upon a time but uh, as for featuring tonight maybe in the subs I'm not sure I mean it's, it's really hard to tell with Nuno I mean he, he seems to have this idea of where he wants Wolves to go and he's got this new three-year contract which you would in turn think comes with a three-year plan so he wouldn't have signed these players I don't think if he didn't expect to use them this season so uh, it's a bit up in the air that one for me my answer would be I just simply don't know <laughs> Good analysis. Uh, speaking of big spending in the Premier League, that's been the subtext of Chelsea's game, which is the other Premier League feature tonight. They're travelling to Brighton and Hove Albion, and it's kind of been dominated a little bit by Lampard's response to a clop from a uh, dig from Jurgen Klopp uh, a couple of days ago, where Jurgen Klopp criticising Chelsea's spending, saying that it's different if your clubs run by an oligarch or whatever that they can just dip into this money that other clubs simply don't have at the moment. Lampard's been laughing it off in his press conferences ahead of this game. But does he have a point, Jurgen Klopp? Has it created an unfair playing field that you've got your Manchester Cities or your Chelsea's that have these reserves of cash they can just dip into? Or is that just, I mean, is it just kind of like a put-up, shut-up situation, Marley, where it's just, I mean, you can't really moan about not having the transfer funds or it being unfair because it's just the way the world works I guess. The thing that gets me about about Klopp and about 
sometimes Liverpool in general is I don't get why they moan about this. You know, Klopp Klopp does it quite a lot. Oh, they can spend more than us. Oh, you know, little old Liverpool, we're punching above our weight, blah, blah, blah. You spent a world record fee on a goalkeeper and a defender a couple of years ago. Like, I know you've not spent much since. Do you know how much Jurgen Klopp has spent since since he since he came into Liverpool? Do you know what his total spending is? Four hundred and thirty-five million pounds. Oh, there you go. Oh, but it's all about net spend, lads. It's all about <laughs> net spend. It's mad, isn't it? Though, like, it, it it is it is hypocritical because every club spends money. Like every single club. Look at Everton. Everton is spending loads of money. Man United have spent loads of money uh, on on players in the past there's not there's not a club out there that don't do it except maybe maybe Newcastle but even we spent 40 million on a bloody striker last year so it's um mm. it winds me up when he says this because Chelsea have had a few years of not spending that much money obviously they had the transfer ban and in FFP they've clearly looked at at what they've got to spend this year and for Jesus it's, we've actually got a lot to spend we've got a lot of will room in in FFP and if we take uh, certain deals and pay them over the course of five years, we can offset that balance in the future. So it's not like they're doing anything wrong because if they were doing anything wrong, if if they were replicating what they did with Abramovich when he came in in like 2006 or whatever it was, when he first came and they ended up signing Mutu and Glenn Johnson and all these players for like 25 million and it was almost unheard of, and, you know, Robin and all them kind of players. But it they can't do that anymore because it's FFP. So because of FFP, so everything has to be sort of regulated, and they're not doing anything wrong because they clearly must be paying playing by the rules. Because if they weren't, they would get fined and docked points and chucked out of competitions and what have you. So to sit there and go, oh well, well we can't do that. It's like, well, you've just won the Premier League and the Champions League in the last couple of years. I'm pretty sure the coffers aren't exactly empty, Jurgen. You just finding it hard to get players who don't want to come and not be in the first team. So mm. uh, it it gets to me a little bit like how, how he sort of tries to bring sympathy on Liverpool because every club is the same. Every club spends money. It's just some... It, it'll go in cycles. Chelsea won't spend this next summer. Chelsea will probably spend not like nothing next summer probably because they've got to offset this balance. Mm. They're taking a, a, a risk now in putting all their investment in now and seeing where they get in the next couple of years because they've got to assume in the next couple of years everyone else is going to get stronger so it's almost like a picking your time to attack the market because that's that's how football works if you don't attack the market you don't get anywhere I think as well Liverpool's biggest outlay Jim in the last couple of years has been on wages their wage growth in the last five seasons mm. has been exponential um, the wages have gone up massively the fees have gone up um, and let's not forget Behind the scenes, Liverpool have redeveloped Anfield. I think it cost them fifty million to regenerate their main stand at Anfield Stadium. They've also paid for a new training ground in the Kirby area of the city, so that's going to be built as well. So the owners have spent, but I think that they've spent within their means. And also in terms of money coming into the club, a massive new club kit deal with Nike, which has just been absolutely off the scale in terms of how much clubs have been paid. It's one of the biggest kit deals in history for a football club, the Liverpool deal with Nike. So let's Mm. not sort of beat around the bush and say that Liverpool don't have money. I think they do, but I just don't think they have as much as, as the other clubs. And I think Jurgen Klopp knows that. And 
maybe that was just a bit of a, a, a sly, subtle dig from Jurgen Klopp calling, you know, uh, Roman Abramovich oligarchs and, you know, run by states and oligarchs and stuff like that or whatever he said, um, which is correct. I mean, that that is that is true. But I mean, there's no like Marley says, there's no point throwing your toys out of the pram about it. You know, the cards that you've been dealt and you've done a remarkable job to deal with it. I mean, look at look at the likes of uh, Burnley, for example. They're one of the only clubs that break even forward slash makes a profit in the Premier League every season. And that's why Sean Dyche has to be commended, regardless of the ugly style of play that we know Marley absolutely despises. Um, he has to be commended for keeping them up in the Premier League because he's only been given um, certain tools to play with and he's managed to keep... Uh, Burnley a, a solid Premier League side for the last few seasons uh, a lot of the time by picking up players on free transfers so I think it's important to kind of caveat any digs that Klopp makes with the fact that Liverpool are in a much better position than they were five years ago due to the Premier League win due to the Champions League win they've decided to uh, invest in infrastructure off the pitch the wages on the pitch have grown loads so um, I think the concern is for Liverpool fans is that everyone around them is signing players and they're not and I think that is the big concern but that doesn't mm. mean Liverpool all of a sudden become a bad team I just think the opponents get stronger but that's I think part of what Jurgen Klopp's doing here is he's kind of building his own part a little bit and also managing expectations and by kind of going hey we've done we've won the league on a shoestring despite spending 400 million pounds or whatever it is it makes him look better but at the same time it's kind of takes the pressure off his own team a little bit and that is pressure that is going to be absolutely massive on Chelsea and Frank Lampard and it kicks off tonight against Brighton if they don't get off to a good start Niall if they don't Mm. hit the ground running in these first few weeks of the season people are already going to be start to call for even though he's got this good favour at the club and he's a club legend and all that it's not going to be long before people start to turn on Lampard after the money spent if it doesn't go right straight away yeah you're spot on and that's the way that the game is now with transfer fees it's an absolute aberration really because you know look at the way that um clubs spend money on players like for instance i always use paul pogba at manchester united as an example i think it was 89 million that they paid for him um people were saying oh he's worth 89 million he should be doing better than that i think marley made a really good point a few podcasts ago about fred where they signed him for £52 million and everyone's saying that Fred's now become all of a sudden a good player, which is just probably not quite the case. He's performed at the level expected of him because of his price tag. But the players can't help the price tags that they go for. All they can do is play as well as they can. And at some clubs, it doesn't work out. And I think that transfer fees do give clubs a rod for their own back in terms of how they should perform. Now, the pressure is massively ramped up on Lampard, not only because this season there's no chance for embargo, and not only because it's not his first season anymore. He's had a season to bed in at Stamford Bridge. The pressure is going to be increased because Chelsea are now going to have these expectations and people are going to have these expectations of Chelsea because of the money they've spent. And I think that it's interesting with this game against Brighton tonight because if you listen to Frank Lampard's pre-match press conference, he said that Hakim Ziyech, the signing from Ajax, won't play because he's got a knee problem. They don't know how long he might be out for. I think he needs to go for scans. Mm. They don't know how serious that is and knee injuries could potentially be one of the worst possible injuries you can get as a player. So that's a concern. Thiago Silva only landed in London a couple of days ago um, and he's still settling down. He hasn't even joined training yet. So I think that he'll probably miss out against uh, Brighton and Hove Albion as well. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about these new Chelsea signings and these new Chelsea stars. I'm not sure all of them will play, to be honest with you. We might see Timo Werner get a run out. I'm not sure about Kai Havertz either. Um, I can't remember quite what Lampard said in the press conference about Havertz. But certainly I think that... 
Chelsea's team that we see out there against Brighton tonight might not be the star-studded lineup of the full new boys, um, as many people might expect. And I think that's probably a positive thing for Lampard because, as Marley said before, um, talking about Sheffield United and Wolves, if you chuck in a load of new players that haven't had time to adjust to the league yet, um, you can't blame them if Brighton come away with a result because, mm. you know, if you're chucking in six new players, five new players in a squad where they've not really had time to kind of adjust and, and bet in, then the chances are that things are going to be a lot more difficult for you. Whereas the squad that Chelsea have got already, the players that played last season, I think we might see them get a game tonight to kind of ease those new players in. And I think it's important to have experience around you when you are a new player at a club, someone that you can kind of um, feel that they're there to support you. So certainly I think that will be the interesting thing for tonight's game against Brighton but if they do lose uh, I, I think that the question marks will be you know understandably pointed towards Lampard um, and Chelsea maybe not after one game but if they if they can't get a result in the first few games with the money that they've spent then in, undoubtedly the uh, the football world is going to go crazy and say Chelsea should be doing better. You would expect a win for Chelsea tonight Marley but Brighton are undergoing a project of their own I guess. Graham Potter was brought in last season with this idea of changing the way the football club play and we saw a little bit of that last season and it was always always a risk when you make that initial change from going from maybe the more agricultural to the more stylish side of the game but you'd imagine that's going to have further opportunity to bed in this season You'd, you'd, you'd like to think that the players that Graham Potter has at his disposal will get more used to the system and he's there's not been a massive amount of um, incomings or outgoings at Brighton with the exception of Adam Lallana which was a bit of early business so this could be an interesting season for Brighton is it going to result in them improving on last season or do you think they're going to be at risk of relegation again? Uh, I think it's it's funny with Brighton because they, they do play a clearly slightly nicer style than, than they did under Hewton. Um I don't think they ever played bad football under Hewton. I think it was I think it was uh, it was what was required at the time like it, it Hewton got them enough results to keep them up. They decided they wanted a bit of a style change with Graham Potter. Um, I think he's he plays he plays nice football. He plays he promotes youth. Is an attractive manager to have in that in that sense because at the end of the day, if you're not going out and spending massive money, you've got to have something to to fund your club with. Um, and I think he he brings through youth players and and sells them on for for big money. So I think. You know, Aaron Connolly, Stephen Alzate last year, um, Lamptey as well, the right back. Um, they all look like good players. So he's starting to, to get his own sort of stamp on the team a little bit. And um, I do quite like how, how Brighton approach things. And I think they've done some good business in the transfer window, getting uh, Lalana for free and signing um, Joel Joel, Velt- Joel Veltman from Ajax for 900 grand. That cannot be bad business. Like He could... If he plays five games, he's practically paid paid for himself, because that is nothing in this this market. When you consider the fees being chucked around for average players, mm. I think he's played for Holland thirty odd times or whatever it is. He's played for Ajax at the highest level. He's been around very very big successful clubs in his in his career um, while he's been at Ajax, and it's uh, it could only be good for for. Um, Brighton to come in and uh, and rely on his experience a little bit, but having said that, I worry about their their attack. I don't think their attack's good enough to get them towards the top half. I think Morpé maybe scores you eight goals on on a good season. He's very sort of 
hit and miss in his you, you can't sort of predict when Mope is going to score it's just like a random random goal and you'll be like oh hang on he, he looks like a good player and then the next week he won't he doesn't seem to do too much um so I think they've got to get that sorted a little bit um they haven't brought any in in any strikers over the summer so that would suggest they were looking at Mope and and Connolly to carry on um the development a little bit more Connolly looks quite bright, but again, he hasn't scored that many goals, so that's what they've got to sort out for me. I, I think they'll, until they, until they sort that, I don't think they'll be too much higher than they were last season. I think they finished 15th last season, so if you're looking at, at what they've done in the summer, I think maybe you could you could replicate that again, maybe make it a bit more uh, comfortable and maybe you know get towards sort of 13th, 12th, but I can't see them getting anywhere near the top half in with what they've got, I'm afraid. Are either of you brave enough to predict anything other than a Chelsea win in tonight's game? I hope so, because I've got Aaron Connolly and Steven Alzate in my fantasy team, because I completely spunked all my money <laughs> on my midfield, so my attack is looking <laughs> feeble, to say the least. No, I, well, funnily enough, I spunked all my money on Chelsea players, so I'm hoping Chelsea win. <laughs> None of them are going to play. There you go, it's Marley versus Nile in tonight's fantasy football showdown. Uh, right, that concludes our preview of tonight's games there is loads going on in the transfer market still window doesn't close for a couple of weeks particularly interesting is news for Tottenham and Manchester United and we'll talk about that next on Football Social Daily Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode Football Social Daily from Sports Social find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're going to have a look at some of the rumours doing the rounds in the back pages of the papers in terms of transfers. There's still a couple of weeks left of the window, so some juicy bits of gossip going around. It seems Tottenham, who are forming quite a lot of the rumours over the last couple of weeks, are intent on intent on improving their striking options, boys. There's two rumours doing the rounds. I'm not sure how much truth there is in either of these but apparently Tottenham are having a look at Southampton's Danny Ings that's according to Football London and also they're interested in Norway striker Alexander Sorloth who's over on loan in Turkey from Crystal Palace at the moment the Express are talking about that one I mean what this says to me Niall both these rumours suggest that they're looking for if indeed they are looking for a striker they're looking for a backup striker because they know whoever has an interest in coming to Spurs isn't going to displace Harry Kane. Yeah, and I think both of those players, Danny Ings and Alexander Serla, I don't know if both of those players would consider being a backup striker, considering the seasons they've both just had for their respective clubs, Southampton and Trabzonspor. Just a quick one on, on the Alexander Serla situation. Um, Trabzonspor, obviously a Turkish side, they finished second in last season's Turkey Super League, thanks to the 20-plus goals that Serlot scored for them on loan from Palace. But it's got an obligation to buy in that loan deal. So actually, Crystal Palace have, have shot themselves in the foot here massively with contract um, negotiations where they allowed a, a 
option to buy because I think they simply didn't see Alexander Surlet scoring any goals for Crystal Palace um, when he came back from loan. So they basically injected into this or they inserted into this contract a an option to buy. So uh, it's an obligation, sorry. So Trabs on Sport effectively for 5.5 million euro now own Surlot. Now the question is, will they keep hold so of Chelsea, him? So Palace can't pull out of that. Palace deal. can't. So Palace, Palace can't. can't. So basically, he okay. is Trabs on Sport's player, which is why the Express are reporting that Spurs are in talks with Trabs on Sport. So you can kind of almost cut Crystal Palace out of the equation here. All we can say is that they've shot themselves in the foot massively because they've been looking for a striker. They loaned out Surlot and he performed exceptionally last season. I don't think anyone at Selhurst Park would have predicted that. So the situation is Trabzon Sport effectively already own Alexander Surlot. Now what they might do is decide to, instead of keeping him for their Champions League campaign and Turkey Super League campaign next season, they might actually sell him um, for a profit. So they, they bought him for 5.5 million euros. RB Leipzig are said to be interested as a possible replacement for Timo Werner. Um, so they could possibly be interested in signing Surlot. And now obviously Spurs are said to be interested as well. Now, what will be the situation is that Trabs on Spore will end up selling him for probably double, maybe even treble what they paid Crystal Palace for him. So that would be a bit of a stinger if he does go to Spurs for Crystal Palace. But obviously they've got Batshuayi now to kind of, for their sake, hopefully solve their lack of cutting edge in front of goal. So um, even then, I think that He'll probably consider himself good enough after his season in Turkey to be a frontline striker and not play second fiddle to Harry Kane. Mm. Although the only thing you could say that if you are going to Spurs, you know Harry Kane is going to be injured for a couple of months of the season. It's the same thing with Aguero <laughs> at Manchester City. He has a couple of months off in the season with injury. You do know that you're going to get a chance. Um, and perhaps Spurs are eyeing the air to Harry Kane, the next striker to come in uh, and take his place because certainly Harry Kane, you feel that he's not going to be there forever. For Danny Ings... I think, again, if he wants to cement himself as an England striker, he needs to stay at Southampton. I think he's found a formula there where it works for him. Um, but uh, for me, um, you're talking about being able to afford better wages, still being in the South, then um, then Tottenham might be a, an attractive prospect for Danny Ings. But certainly Spurs need something, don't they? Because going off of their performance against Everton yesterday, um, I love Jose Mourinho, but unfortunately it did look like Manchester United wearing white shirts yesterday against Everton. Um, lots of demons and skeletons still in the closet, it seems, from Jose's um, managerial techniques that perhaps need to be uh, removed. What would you do if you were Danny Ings, Marley? You're banging them in for Southampton, but you get an offer from Spurs and with the best will in the world and utmost respect to Southampton, they're not Tottenham. They aren't playing in the new White Hart Lane Stadium, which is a beautiful place. They can't afford the same wages. Do you gamble at the age of 28 and go, well, this is my last shot at being a big striker at a Premier League club? It's a tough one for me because Danny Ings has gambled before and it didn't work. Uh, he's gambled when he went to Liverpool. He got unlucky with injuries. He'll probably think back now, if he didn't have injuries, he could be in that Liverpool team and he could be an important part of that squad. Um, he'll have that He'll have that belief about him. You might not agree with it, but he would have that confidence about him and he, he would back himself to, to do well at a top club. However, he's playing for a mid-table side and he scored 22 goals last season, was it? I just think at, at 28 years old, you know you've mm. you've got a few, you've got a couple of years left um at you know in your sort of prime you would you would assume and i just think it's better to be playing in your prime and actually giving your prime to a club rather than be in and out of the team you know waiting for harry kane to get injured uh waiting for harry kane to leave possibly um and i think the proof's there that southampton have can create enough chances for him to score goals. Um, he's 
he nearly nearly won the golden boot last year and you know Southampton had very little to show for it in terms of the the league position so i think that's that's uh, something that might just keep him at uh, at St Mary's to be honest i think the manager as well is starting to get a a, a bit more out of the out of his squad that like what he wants his his philosophy his way of playing i think Southampton improved a lot especially after uh, after Christmas last year, when they got done nine uh, nil by Leicester, I think they uh, they turned the corner from there, and I think Ings might just be tempted to say, "Well, let's let's see where this goes," because you know our manager's doing a good job. I'm scoring goals. I'm happy here. I'm playing every minute uh, possible. I'm the main man. I'm the big fish in a in a smaller pond. Um, and I think sometimes it just it suits players like that. And I just think Southampton and Danny Ings sort of suit each other. So. Um, I wouldn't gamble if I was him. Uh, I just think it's better to be playing games and scoring goals than to be sat on the bench and a little bit frustrated and uh, letting your prime waste away a little bit. Very flattering to have a team like Spurs making offers for you, though. I guess that's the flip side of it. It's when someone comes in for you, whether it's a Spurs or a Manchester United or whoever it is, it's very difficult to turn that offer down unless your name is Jaden Sancho because apparently that deal is not reaching a conclusion anytime soon there were rumours last week it was going to be concluded this weekend obviously that's not happened and Manchester United losing a bit of patience as we all are with this deal potentially going ahead supposedly the £120 million valuation Manchester United are a long way off that and Dortmund aren't willing to budge on that so United beginning to look elsewhere Two of the players, supposedly, they're looking to bring in over the next few weeks. According to Mundo Deportivo in Spain, they want Gareth Bale. That's been a long-linked transfer. And according to the Telegraph, they're looking at Inter Milan's Ivan Perisic. Out of those two, Niall, which do you think is most likely to happen and which would suit the Manchester United project better? I think Jadon Sancho would suit the Manchester United project better, <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I still think Manchester United are interested in Jadon Sancho. I think they've just put it on the back burner. I think it's just natural for clubs to look at other targets if they can't get their first choice target. I mean, look at Jose Mourinho at Manchester United. The centre-backs he managed to sign whilst he was there compared to the centre-backs that they uh, that they wanted or Jose wanted. Um, I think he mentioned at one press conference or at one point that some one like Lindelof and, and Eric Bailly were like his third and fourth choice centre-halves of the players that he wanted. Mm. So um, I think it's understandable that Manchester United are looking at other targets. I do still think they want Jadon Sancho. Speaking to Rob Blanchett, who was on Saturday's podcast previewing the weekend's games, he's a Manchester United fan, um, uh, writes for Bleacher Report, and, and he's convinced that this Sancho saga is going to go down to the final week of the transfer window in early October. So you know, buckle up, guys, get your seatbelts on because this is going to be a bumpy ride for a while. Is I this think... just United playing hardball then? Is this them going, well, if you're not going to sell us Sancho, we're going to look elsewhere? We'll take our 120 million. Well, th- there's a reason why these things come out in the press. And I think that there's a chance that that could be the case. I don't want to point fingers and say that that 100% categorically is the case. But certainly from Rob's perspective, and I can see exactly where he's coming from, he feels that this could go down even to the last day of the transfer window, um, which wouldn't surprise me the way this transfer window's gone. The 5th of October, of course, is the deadline. 
So, I mean, Jadon Sancho is definitely of interest to Manchester United. I think it wouldn't be the most stupid thing to do, uh, invest in him being 20 years old, and he's only going to get better. Say they sign him to a five-year contract, they've got the money to pay his wages, even through this pandemic. If they pay 120 million, whatever it is, then it sounds like a lot of money, but actually, could he be worth 200 million in five years' time and be one of the best players in the world? That is a very distinct possibility. He could even leave the club as a Ballon d'Or winner, for example. And we know how much Ed Woodward loves to write Ballon d'Or winner into the contracts of players so there's a <laughs> chance that that could possibly happen but certainly it wouldn't be good business it wouldn't be good management of a football club it wouldn't be sensible if you weren't exploring other options so Gareth Bale we know that he wants to leave Real Madrid Real Madrid have kind of been holding on to him like a like a baby on a leash basically he, he, he's desperate to break you don't put babies on leashes no oh you do you see him walking around with cradles or the, the what the oh, harnesses I, I don't know what you mean yeah. the harness thing like a dog no leg. no oh, yeah. no a harness not a leash that's a little, that's a little bit sadomasochistic Jim I, I wouldn't go that far to say that I think you could put babies on harnesses harnesses there we go thanks for the correction amendment like a baby on a harness trying to find his legs and run away again I think that's what Gareth Bale's trying to do um and like we say, Manchester United would be one of the only clubs in the world that could afford his wages. But at this point in time, I'm not sure Gareth Bale is too fussed about wages. I think he's getting that frustrated and that fed up um, being at Real Madrid that he, he probably would take a wage drop. Um, but yeah, I mean, everyone knows that he's on the market for Real Madrid or he wants to leave Real Madrid. Everybody knows that. I mean, it's no secret. Um, but this Ivan Perisic deal has also been linked as well over the last couple of seasons. Um, they're both 31. They're both good players. I mean, I don't know who would fit in better to the Manchester United model, to be honest. The thing is with Gareth Bale, what you've got to remember, if you do sign him, then you don't sign him for a whole season because he, he like Harry Kane, is prone mm. to injury and he will play uh, a part on the sidelines for a large part of the season, in my opinion. If he can keep himself fit for a whole campaign, that would be remarkable. Certainly at the age of 31, um, he's still got plenty to offer. He's, he's achieved so much at Real Madrid in the time that he's been there. Um, he knows the Premier League, of course, uh, coming from Spurs initially to uh, Real Madrid. So I just think as well, with the, the way that Manchester United's squad is still quite thin, um, it's not solid at this moment in time. I do think that there is uh, holes there that need to be plugged. Gareth Bale is a risk in that sense. You know, if you sign him, you think, great, we've got some depth with Gareth Bale. But if he gets injured, you're back to where you were before. And, you, you know, so, I mean, but then again, for 20 million quid or 18 or 20 million euro or 18.5 million quid, is that a risk worth taking for Manchester United? Because... If you look at, like we said before on the podcast, Wolves signing young players for 35 million, you can get a proven Gareth Bale in 18.5 million in today's market. I mean, mm. it seems like a, a good option to take, even though that it probably won't be the depth in the squad that Manchester United fans are hoping for. As for Ivan Perisic, I don't know. I really don't know whether he could come in and, and fit into Manchester United's system. Um, obviously, Inter Milan play under Antonio Conte and they play this wing-back system. I don't think Manchester United play a wing-back system, do they? So I'm not sure whether Perisic would fit in, although the, the midfield players are obviously slightly different in that scenario. But in terms of getting used to a system, um, whether it will work or not, I'm not so sure. But yeah, you do think Manchester United are looking for either another winger or a creative player. Perisic is a good player. He's proven it over the time. Uh, again, 31 years of age. Um, it's take your pick out of those two, I suppose. But I still think that Jadon Sancho is the one that they're really after. It's the wages that cost you with Gareth Bale, isn't it? But I'd love to see him in the Premier League with some club. Oh, don't, aren't um, Real Madrid willing to pay half his wages as well? Are they? I read that the weekend. Yeah, so that makes it even more sort of financially viable for Man United. It's still 200k so. a week, isn't it? If you're getting in for half price for a season, you just, you just take it. I think you just take it. 
Final bit of transfer news comes from Bournemouth, who have told Leicester reportedly, now this is the sun, so we all know in what regards to hold this in terms of news, but 50 million quid they want if they're going to sell Welsh midfielder David Brooks to Leicester City. I'm surprised David Brooks hasn't moved already because I thought he was one of the better players in that relegated Bournemouth side. But do you think he would be a good fit for Leicester if he were to go Marley? Should it be aiming higher or is that just not giving Leicester enough credit? Um, I don't think it's giving Leicester enough credit, to be honest. Um, I think Leicester are a quality side. I think if Brooks went to a sort of traditional top four, you know, top six kind of club, you know, one of the big six, I think he won't get as much game time. I think he'd get more of a, an opportunity at, at Leicester. I think Brendan Rodgers is a fantastic manager um, in terms of his is what he can do to develop a player. Uh, I think he's I think he's excellent at that. So I think the only reason the the top clubs haven't come in for Brooks is because he's coming off the back of a a serious injury, and I think clubs are looking at him and maybe wanting to to give him a year and see how he's recovered from that if uh, if he can get his top form. Uh, back again and if it's a situation where he can get his 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 form back and Bournemouth don't go up then teams will be queuing up for him um but at the minute I think I think they're just a little bit wary and and sort of let's let's see what he does and I mean 50 million is a joke like 50 million is far too much for for that Mm. uh for for him but Bournemouth set the price and Bournemouth don't need to sell because they've already sold a lot of players Ake, Wilson, They've all gone. Um, even the manager, the manager's gone. Bournemouth have been absolutely decimated from from what they were last season. So they've got money in the bank. They don't need to sell. They're quite happy to to stick um, and you know dig the heels in over this transfer, and rightly so. I think David Brooks can easily be a, a top top player, but he's got time on his side. I think he's only young, um, and you can easily move on in the future if you don't uh, if you don't move on now it's not a case of him running out of time and and you know having one last crack at the league he's got plenty of time on his side so it's absolutely not in any rush for for David Brooks but I think Leicester would be a nice little uh, a nice fit for him so if that does happen in the future I can't see it happening this year but we'll see we'll see how he does in the championship this year and uh, and move on next year I think the 50 million pound valuation though is just it's kind of like it's it's haggling for a car isn't it it's the same with West Ham going in for Tarkovsky at, at Burnley it's kind of a case of we go low you go high you meet somewhere in the middle eventually that's just what they're doing there but in terms of Bournemouth as a team as Marley says Eddie Howe's gone they've had players picked off from them already you're a fan of the football leagues Niall are they in danger of just sinking without a trace I know it's not really Premier League we're dipping outside of our remit but... I was about to say isn't isn't this a Premier well, League podcast I thought I'd, I'd had another Bournemouth I thought we got rid <laughs> of them are they going to come back though that's the question are they going to be back in the Premier League well they won their first game at the weekend despite all the stuff that's going on Jason Tindall their new manager who was their assistant manager under Eddie Howe before um, his first competitive game in charge of the Cherries they won I think 3-2 or 4-3 it was a close game but they ended up getting the job done Um, 
They've still got a reasonable core of players there, um, but the better players have been picked off, no doubt about that. The manager's gone, as you've said. Uh, the likes of Wilson's gone. Fraser was um, not offered a new contract uh, or refused to sign a new contract. Uh, Ake's gone to Manchester City. So like all the names that Marley's mentioned, and I think that there could be a couple more departing as well. So um, I do think, like you say, Bournemouth have been picked apart. Um are they at risk of sinking down the leagues? I'm not 100% sure that that will be the case. Even my team, Portsmouth, when we were decimated in terms of finances at the bottom of the Premier League, we got relegated, we got minus nine points. Even we managed to stay up a season in the Championship before we <laughs> dropped into the abyss. So I can't see Bournemouth getting relegated uh, this season in the Championship. I don't think they'll get promoted. I think they could probably aim for the top 10 quite comfortably in the Championship with the squad that they've got. Uh, I think the style of play is not going to change discernibly. I think it's still going to be there. So... Yeah, I think there's a chance that they could possibly be up and around the playoffs. I don't think they'll come bouncing straight back. But again, I don't think they'll be sinking without trace. But let's not forget this. Traditionally, Bournemouth are a Division 3, Division 4 club. The fact that they've even been in the Premier League for the, for the length of time that they had been, five seasons, is a remarkable achievement for that football club. It's a club that's used to winning the Southern Combination League Premier Division, not competing in you know the Premier League that you know if you look at Bournemouth's history look at the stadium it tells you everything you need to know about that football club um, they are a small small football club that were punching massively above their weight they've had an amazing ride of it I think the fans understand that as well they appreciate that there's no reason why they can't compete in the championship in seasons to come but football is a is a cruel game and it's a fickle game and look at what happened to Leeds United they were down in League One my club Pompey down in League One Southampton have been down there Norwich Leicester City Sunderland, Ipswich, these are all big clubs that have been down in League One and that's the way the game goes, you go up and down the pyramid um, and again you know, I, don't, I wouldn't be surprised to see Bournemouth down there at some point, whether that's in the next three or four years, I don't think so, but certainly that's the way the game goes, I mean there's a high chance that they could be in League One before they reach the Premier League again, but that's just the ferocious nature of the Championship, so they're gone from the Premier League, I don't think they'll sink down too far just yet, but there's a possibility it could happen in the future We'll leave the transfer gossip there and we'll move on to matters in North London next. We're going to be doing our very first Floodlight Focus and it's chatting to John Walker from the Trampled Bet podcast all about Arsenal. And we'll do that next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Now, we're going to talk to someone from inside the Emirates Stadium now in a brand new feature that we're introducing every single day during the Premier League season. It's our Floodlight Focus feature where we're going to talk to someone who is either a fan or a blogger or a podcaster from each of the Premier League clubs and get their view on how the season's going. And today... We're going to be speaking to John Walker, who's an Arsenal fan and also the host of the Trampled Bet podcast. Hello, John. Hello, guys. Thank you for coming on and having a chat with us. Normally, when we speak to Arsenal fans, there's a sound of desperation and depression in their voices. (laughs) But after the opening weekend, it was a pretty decent start for you. I know it was only Fulham, but it must give you some hope for the season. I mean, that's exactly the first note I had, was that it was only Fulham. Um, but, but to be fair, see, see Arsenal fans, on the, the Wenger sliding scale of FA Cup win, Community Shield win, opening day win, is actually quite a regular experience for us, but this is where the chart starts to drop. <laughs> um, we're, we're used to it, we're used to it. We've done this so many times, 2014, 15 and 17. Won the FA Cup, won the Community Shield against the Premier League winners, won our opening day game, 
and then we didn't win for three games. So I'm, I'm peaking just now, but I'm, I'm very aware of how, how Arsenal tends to let people down. I guess one of the positives from the weekend was the performance of the new signings. Willian got three assists, but at the other end as well, I mean, it's not often we describe Arsenal as being defensively solid, but Gabriel looks like a great addition. Oh, amazing. Honestly, do, do, you know what, do you know what Arteta's done even before signing uh, Gabriel and bringing Saliba back in on loan? Was, see, before any Arsenal game, we were playing any side that had a centre-half that could even remotely head a ball. See, any time you gave away a corner or a free kick, you'd be spent the whole night before sweating, thinking about set-pieces. <laughs> I, I actually didn't even consider that we would concede from a corner or set-piece just because of Holden's in there who finally looks back to fitness. Gabriel is an absolute mountain. He's going to be phenomenal for us. Um, but yeah, clean sheet, William, kind of treble assist, probably doesn't get the first one because he is trying to score. But yeah, very, very good performance. What do you make of Mikel Arteta so far then? He's been in the job, what, six six months or so now, hasn't he? And we had a debate last week on the podcast as to how secure his job is because I'd read something that was putting him favourite for the sack race and it turns out, I mean, his odds are much, much, <laughs> much longer than several other managers in terms of getting the boot this season. But it does seem like... It does seem like there's already a tiny bit of pressure on him to perform, even though he's in the first the first stage of this great big long process that clearly he has in mind for the future of the club. No, there's no no pressure. Well, I mean, to be fair though, the problem with Arsenal fans is we've got things like Arsenal fan TV, so it's really hard yeah. to get a grasp of what a normal person's opinion is on a football <laughs> club. But there's absolutely zero pressure on him, man. He's bought himself so much time. Arteta, since he's come in, has kept 11 clean sheets in like 24 games. That's almost one and two. That's unheard of. See if you announced that to an Arsenal fan six months ago, we would have wondered what was actually happening to the other clubs. Like, had they stopped playing strikers? They've changed his um, job title, John, haven't they? From head coach to now manager. Is that just kind of a football nuancey sort of thing? Or do you think that there's actually some thinking behind that, behind the scenes? Because I know it's said that the hierarchy at Arsenal are, you know, absolutely in love with Arteta in terms of what he's done to the club. It's probably another million on his salary if you change it from manager to head coach. That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, last season was a bit of a stinker for Arsenal, wasn't it? I think 13th place, lowest finish for 25 years in the Premier League. But, you know, shortly after that 95 season, when Arsenal finished in the bottom half of the table, things started to pick up. Wenger came in, Arsenal became a force again and started to win league titles. Now, I'm not saying Arteta's going to come in and hand Arsenal a Premier League title in the next two seasons but it feels almost very similar to what happened then a quarter of a century ago that things were down in the dumps and then someone new comes in and sort of freshens things up revolutionises things a little bit and then Arsenal fans uh, you know can kind of start to, to look up again Yeah it's building um, I seen an interview with, with Kieran Tierney a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about what some Arsenal fans maybe haven't seen or fans outside of England that haven't seen from Arsenal is all the youngsters that you're maybe not taking note of, uh, and Ketia, Saka, Maitland-Niles, mm. Holden's still young there, Saliba's very young, it's just came through, um, Joe Willock, there's so many youngsters there as well, sitting on the periphery of the, the side, that we are actually building a team that I really think could go for five, six, seven years. The key is getting Aubameyang, like chaining him down somewhere and making him sign this contract so we can stop talking about it. Well, when is that going to get signed? Because I think two days ago it was close. Four days before that it was close. Six days before that it was close. Is he? I mean, it sounds the, the noises suggest he is going to be an Arsenal player for the future. He is going to sign this new contract, but it just seems to be delayed and delayed and delayed. And ideally, you wanted it done before the start of the season, didn't you? 
I mean, we do, but if I was Obama Yang in my situation and I knew I was always going to stay, I would just be sitting there scoring a goal every week and just adding another five, ten grand onto my salary expectation and just sitting back. <laughs> do you think that's what it is? Do you think he's trying to up his value? Or do you think yeah. he's waiting for potentially someone to come in? We know that Kuman, for example, is doing a rebuilding job in Barcelona. He's kind of waiting to see if he does have an offer from somewhere else that's slightly more appealing. No, no, I think he just I think he's gonna stay regardless. I just think he's waiting to make sure he gets the the most expensive paid player in Arsenal's history. I think that's what he's waiting for. Yeah, because he's going to be on 400k a week when he signs this new deal, <laughs> which is 50k more than Ozil, who's on 350. So, you know, that's... I mean, it's so key, though, because I said this on a on a podcast the other day. Um, you know, as an Arsenal fan, do you think that you should be hunting for the heir to Aubameyang? Because his record since he touched down at the Emirates, I think 71 goals, or 72 now, and 111 appearances since he arrived in 2018. It's a ridiculous strike rate. Um, and you know he is kind of in his 30s now and you'd think that this would be his last contract at Arsenal um, unless he can do a Jamie Vardy and just carry on (laughs) but certainly I think Arsenal probably should be looking for the kind of the next player to step into his shoes I mean I guess Nketiah would be the obvious yeah I just I just think it's they just need to wait I think see for Arsenal to even go and sign like a an almost unknown 18 19 year old to play off the left side that would score goals I think Arsenal are kind of building a team underneath a team see if I look at the front three that started with Willie and Lacazette and Obama on the left I think Arteta is probably looking at five years time where he could have Martinelli on the left and Ketia through the middle and Saka or Pepe on the right I think he's got like a ready-made front three that comes in and I think see when we play Leicester in the League Cup You'll probably see a sign of that. Obviously, Martinelli will be out injured. Um, I think you'll see a sign of that, what he's thinking of looking at in the future. I, I think the front three's already there. I mean, I think Martinelli is a phenomenal talent. I, th- I can't believe we got him for five to seven million. Um, I think he will be the one that steps up in about a year or two. Talking about five-year plans at Arsenal. It's the early noughties all <laughs> over again. <laughs> what What's a realistic expectation then, John, for this season? As an Arsenal fan, what would be kind of... Well, let's go minimum expectations Right, so the league the league doesn't really matter as long as Champions League football is secured. So whether that is through the Europa League, I don't care. So if it was top seven, top eight with the Europa League win, wouldn't be bothered as long as Champions League football is back at the Emirates next season. That's all that matters. So um, everything apart from that, as long as players are, as long as the football looks the way it did on Saturday, because that's that was my worry was just having the three four weeks off the back of the spell we'd had and see to be honest our best results that came against Liverpool, Man City and Chelsea teams who dominated possession and let us counter them that was the first time I'd really seen us dominate a team full of possession in a long long time um, so for the season as long as the football's good Aubameyang stays um, getting clean sheets scoring goals and as long as there's Champions League football the following season I really really don't care how the league season goes. Highish hopes, I guess. John, it's been a uh, joy to talk to you on Football Social Daily. Um, if people want to hear your strong North London tones uh, on, your, on your own podcast, on the Trampled Bet podcast, where can they find it? Everywhere. Every podcast app, mainly on Spotify. That's where we advertise through. Just search Trampled Bet for that one. John, thanks very much, mate. Cheers, thanks John. Thanks very much, guys. Bye-bye. We'll be doing that every single show. We'll be taking a focus on a different Premier League team. If you want to be our floodlight focus guest, if you're a podcaster or a YouTuber or a blogger or a journalist, or you just love your football club, get in contact via our social media at the Sports Social on Twitter, Sports Social Official on Instagram, and you can search Sports Social on Facebook as well. In fact, you can get us via the website as well, sports-social.co.uk. That is all we've got time for today. Make sure you've hit subscribe. There'll be a brand new episode. So tomorrow, Mile Gnarly, thank you. Mile Gnarly. <laughs>
<laughs> it's been one of those Mondays, uh, Jim. Jo- John, no, I nearly no, called no. you John then. <laughs> God, let's, just, let's just end this now. Niall, Marley, thank you very much. Cheers, Jim. Cheers. See you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sports Social. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.